Nikki Strong, and this is VOA One, The Hits. Welcome to Learning English, a daily 30-minute program from the Voice of America. I'm Ashley Thompson. And I'm Dan Novak. This program is designed for English learners, so we speak a little slower and we use words and phrases especially written for people learning English. Today, Katie Weaver and Mario Ritter Jr. tell us about a plan meant to ease tensions between South Korea and Japan. Jill Robbins presents this week's Health and Lifestyle Report. We close the show with the next part of our U.S. History Series. But first... South Korea announced a new plan Monday to pay Koreans who performed forced labor for Japan during World War II. The plan does not require Japanese companies to provide any of the payments, also called reparations. South Korea's foreign minister, Park Jin, told reporters that a local state-run foundation would use civilian donations to pay the victims. The move is part of an effort by President Yoon Suk-yeol to improve ties with Japan. It is also an effort to solidify security cooperation with both Japan and the United States, to better deal with nuclear threats from North Korea. The plan uses money raised in South Korea. However, former forced laborers and their supporters criticized the move. So have opposition Democratic Party politicians. They have demanded direct payment from Japanese companies and a new apology from the Japanese government. Japan colonized the Korean Peninsula from 1910 to 1945. The colonial rulers forced many thousands of Koreans to work for Japanese companies during World War II. Many of those forced to work have already died, and survivors are now in their 90s. A group of 15 victims brought a legal case in 2018 that affected relations between the neighboring countries. A South Korean court ordered Japan's Nippon Steel and Mitsubishi Heavy Industries to pay the victims but the ruling caused tensions between the countries. Japan said that a 1965 treaty settled wartime compensation issues. It reacted by placing export controls on chemicals important to South Korea's computer technology industry in 2019. Then-President Moon Jae-in answered by threatening to end military intelligence-sharing agreements with Japan. The dispute troubled American efforts to strengthen cooperation among South Korea, Japan, and the U.S. 
in dealing with China and North Korea. U.S. President Joe Biden welcomed news of the compensation plan, calling it a new chapter in cooperation, and saying, "Our countries are stronger when we stand together." Describing the plan, Park said, "If we compare it to a glass of water, I think that the glass is more than half full with water." He added. We expect that the glass will be further filled, moving forward, based on Japan's sincere response. Later Monday, Yoon called the South Korean step a move toward future-oriented Korea-Japan ties. He said both governments must aim to enter a new period in their relations. South Korean officials did not give details about which companies would finance the foundation, but in January, Shim Kyo Sun, the chairperson of the Foundation for Victims of Forced Mobilization by Imperial Japan, said money would come from companies that gained. From the 1965 treaty, the treaty normalized relations between South Korea and Japan, and provided economic aid and loans to South Korea. The main liberal opposition Democratic Party voiced opposition to Yoon's new plan. When the party was in power, led by Moon. It took steps to cancel a foundation supported by Japan that was to pay women used as sex slaves during World War II. Bong Yun-shik is an expert at the Yonsei Institute for North Korean Studies. Bong said Yun likely felt pressure to improve defense ties. Because of North Korea's increasing missile threats, Che Yun-mi is a Japan expert at South Korea's Asan Institute for Policy Studies. Che said a plan paid for by third parties was the best answer for money to get to victims who are now in their nineties. Che noted. That the negotiations have extended for nearly a year, and the plaintiffs would have had the most to lose if the issue isn't resolved now. I'm Mario Ritter Jr. and I'm Katie Weaver. Lovers often look at lists of plants or seeds for sale in the winter to plan their gardens for the coming year.
Those lists usually have two names for each plant, a common name and a botanical or scientific name. The botanical name is not in English, which makes a lot of people unsure about what it means or how to say it. The language is Latin. Its purpose is to help growers be sure that the plant they bring home is the one they wanted to buy. The problem with common names is that they are nicknames or informal names for plants. Many plants can share a common name. One plant can also have many common names. You can see how this can cause misunderstandings. For example, you may have heard the name geranium. The common name for the true geranium is perennial cranesbill. The container plant people call the geranium is actually a pelargonium. The Latin system of naming goes back to the 1700s, and Swedish botanist, zoologist, and physician Carl Linnaeus. His books Systema Naturae and Fundamenta Botanica created rules for classifying and naming plants in botanical Latin. For this reason, gardeners should try to become familiar with it. Linnaeus spent his life giving every plant and animal that he knew a two-part or binomial name. The two parts are genus and species. These names are often based on the appearance of parts of the plant or animal. Linnaeus's International Code of Botanical Nomenclature sets rules for how plants should be named. They include 1. A plant name must start with a capitalized genus. 2. The second part of the name is the species, written in lowercase usual letters. And 3. Next, the name includes either a variety, if the plant is found in nature, cultivar, if the plant is created by a breeder, or hybrid name, if it is a cross between two plants, and X is used. The International Botanical Congress has gathered every six years to examine and decide on new naming questions. The questions come up because of new genetic research and scientific findings. After all, Linnaeus did not have modern microscopes or DNA testing laboratories to decide which plants are related. For example, bleeding hearts, once officially called Decentra spectabilis, were moved into the newly created Lamprocapnus genus several years ago. Their name is now Lamprocapnus spectabilis. The snapdragon, a popular garden flower, was once in the Anterinum genus. The Congress moved it into the plantain family, Plantagenaceae. Since no group controls the use of common names, the same plant may have several. Take Rubecchia herta. Some call it a black-eyed Susan. Others say it is a yellow oxeye daisy and others know it as the Gloriosa Daisy. 
ask a garden center employee for a snowball bush, and you might walk out with a hydrangea arborescence or a viburnum placatum. There is a big difference. The first one has large round flower heads that bloom in the summer. The second one has groups of smaller flowers and blooms in the spring. But both are beautiful. How can you learn the botanical name for a plant before you buy it? Search for the common name in the Royal Horticultural Society's free online garden plant finder and get a list of the botanical names. You can also search for a botanical name and learn the common names. I'm Jill Robbins. just heard Jill Robbins present this week's Health and Lifestyle Report. Jill is here now to talk a bit more about the story. Hi, Jill. Nice to have you here. Hi, Ashley. Are you buying any new plants for your yard this spring? I've been thinking about it, but I have one problem. I'm not sure what to buy. Why is that? Back home, we had different names for the plants, and I don't always see them in the stores here. Oh, I know what you mean. Where I grew up, we had different names for some of the things I see my neighbors growing here. Today's health and lifestyle report might help you then. How so? Well, I've got just the thing you need. The Royal Horticultural Society has this free website called Garden Plant Finder. If you look up the common name, the one you are familiar with, you can find out the scientific name. Then you can take that to the shop and get the right plant. Where did these scientific names come from? So, an amazing Swedish scientist, Carl Linnaeus, decided back in the 1700s that he was going to name not just the plants, but every living thing he could find with this system they call botanical Latin. What surprised me is that Linnaeus made it up. He used some Latin words, but he had to create words for things the ancients didn't know about. Thanks, Jill. I know you love learning about languages, so this must have been a fun story for you. Thanks for having me on your show, Ashley. I hope I can come see your garden soon. And I hope I actually have a nice garden to show you. VOA Learning English has launched a new program for children. It is called Let's Learn English with Anna. The new course aims to teach children American English through asking and answering questions and experiencing fun situations. For more information, visit our website, learningenglish.voanews.com.
Welcome to The Making of a Nation, American History in VOA Special English. June 18, 1910, was an exciting day for Theodore Roosevelt. It was the day that the former American president returned from a long trip to Africa and Europe. Hundreds of thousands of people gathered in New York City to welcome him home. There were speeches and bands and a parade. Frank Oliver and Tony Riggs tell us about Teddy Roosevelt's trip. They also tell us how political problems hurt his friendship with President William Howard Taft. It was the perfect end to a trip that began three weeks after Theodore Roosevelt completed his presidency. Most of the trip was a huge success. In Africa, Theodore Roosevelt spent months hunting wild animals. He shot many lions, elephants, and other animals. He brought all of them back and gave them to the Smithsonian Institution. After hunting in Africa, he and his wife Edith went to Europe. The Roosevelts visited Italy and met the king and queen. They visited Vienna and met the ruler of Austria and Hungary. In Germany, they met Kaiser Wilhelm II. Kaiser Wilhelm invited the former American president to watch a big parade of German troops. He told him, You are the first civilian who has ever joined the Kaiser in reviewing the troops of Germany. The two men were photographed shaking hands. On the back of the photograph, the Kaiser wrote, When we shake hands, we shake the world. The Roosevelts met the kings and queens of Norway, Belgium, and the Netherlands. They met the crown princes of Sweden and Denmark. And while in England, Mr. Roosevelt served as America's official representative at the funeral of King Edward VII. Theodore Roosevelt made a number of speeches at several universities, including Oxford and the Sorbonne. Yet all these activities did not keep him from reading newspapers and letters from home. The news troubled him. He had led the Republican Party with great success. Now the party seemed to be falling apart, it had split into two groups. One group included conservatives who supported President William Howard Taft. The other group included progressives who opposed Taft. Theodore Roosevelt had worked hard to get William Howard Taft elected. President Taft had been in office a little more than a year, yet 
in that short time, he had broken almost completely with the progressives who had supported Roosevelt. The split developed because progressives expected Taft to rule as Roosevelt had done, with energy and emotion. They wanted a man who could excite people with dreams of social progress. Theodore Roosevelt was such a man. William Howard Taft was not. He was a big, slow-moving man. He refused to make quick decisions. As a former judge, he depended on facts, not emotion, to make decisions. President Taft did much to carry out the reform programs Theodore Roosevelt had begun, but his methods led people to believe that he was really trying to kill the programs. Taft wrote to Roosevelt shortly before the former president sailed for home. I do not know if I have had harder luck than other presidents, he said. But I do know I have succeeded far less than others. I have been trying to carry out your policies, but my method of doing so has not worked smoothly. A few weeks later, Theodore Roosevelt returned home. In a speech to those who welcomed him in New York, he said, "I am ready and willing to do my part." To help solve America's problems, and these problems must be solved if this country is to reach the high level of its hopes. To President Taft, Roosevelt wrote, "I will make no speeches or say anything for two months, but I will keep my mind open, as I keep my mouth shut." President Taft invited Theodore Roosevelt. To visit him at the White House, Roosevelt said he could not. However, he did meet with many of the progressive opponents of the president. Later, he met with Taft at the president's summer home in Massachusetts. It was not a happy meeting. The two friends were tense. By this time. Roosevelt had decided that he agreed with the progressives. He believed President Taft had turned back many of Roosevelt's policies. Roosevelt decided it was time for him to go to the American people. He accepted an invitation to a celebration in Wyoming. He traveled west by train. He stopped in many towns and cities to make speeches. He spoke of party unity. He tried to heal the split that had weakened the Republican Party. But the policies he proposed were progressive. Conservatives refused to support them. President Taft could not understand Roosevelt's purposes. If I only knew what he wanted, Taft said, I would do it. 
but he has told me nothing. I am deeply wounded. He gives me no chance to explain my position or to learn his. Theodore Roosevelt hoped his speaking trip would help Republican Party candidates win in the 1910 congressional elections. His efforts seemed to fail. Republicans were defeated in many states. For a year after the party's defeat in the congressional elections, Theodore Roosevelt remained silent. Then, near the end of 1911, America's political parties began to prepare for the presidential election that would be held the following year. Roosevelt was sure Taft could not be re-elected. Taft had become very conservative. He had close ties to business interests. What the people wanted, thought Roosevelt, was a progressive president. What they wanted was a man like himself. So Theodore Roosevelt began to speak out again in opposition to many of the things President Taft was doing. For example. President Taft had proposed treaties with Canada, Britain, and France. Roosevelt criticized them. Taft was troubled. He told a friend, "It is very hard to take all these blows from Roosevelt. I do not know what he is trying to do, except to make my way more difficult." It is very hard to see a close friendship going to pieces like a rope of sand. By now, it was clear to Taft that Roosevelt wanted to be the presidential candidate of the Republican Party in the election of 1912. Earlier, this would have pleased Taft; he would have been happy to leave the White House. But the situation was different now. Roosevelt had changed. Taft felt that the policies he proposed seemed too extreme. Taft decided it was his duty to oppose Roosevelt and the progressives. He would seek re-election. Taft believed he could win the Republican nomination for president. He still had the support of many party leaders. Four months before the Republican nominating convention opened, several progressive Republican governors appealed to Roosevelt. They urged him to declare himself a candidate for president. Roosevelt, they said, was the man to lead the nation. Into a new era of social progress. Then Taft made a strong statement against the progressives. They are seeking, he said, to pull down the temple of freedom and representative government. A reporter asked Roosevelt to answer Taft's statement. Roosevelt said, "My hat is in the ring." That meant. He was a candidate. Now the conflict was in the open, and Roosevelt was ready to fight. In his speeches, 
Roosevelt criticized Taft bitterly. In a voice shaking with hatred, he said Taft was controlled by conservative politicians. He said Taft stood in the way of progress. He said Taft was disloyal. Taft had to answer. In one speech he said, This tears my soul. I am here to answer an old and true friend who has made many charges. I deny all those charges. I do not want to fight Theodore Roosevelt, but I am going to fight him. After the speech, a reporter looked for the president. He found him sitting alone, his head in his hands. His eyes were filled with tears. Roosevelt was my closest friend, Taft said. And that's our program for today. Join us again tomorrow to keep learning English through stories from around the world. I'm Ashley Thompson. And I'm Dan Novak. 